the 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 marine world uh or oceans changing at um an unprecedented rate uh, for the worse um over your years of diving experience what's been the most noticeable changes for you that's a difficult one certainly i mean i i Often with the work I do, I, I seldom get a chance to dive in the same place twice, to be honest. Um, what I have noticed almost since the beginning, um, and I think it's now part of the kind of the zeitgeist of certainly Western culture is, is plastic pollutions in our oceans. Um, and I think people really were opened up to that when, when Blue Planet 2 came out a few years ago. But I think as divers, I, I mean, I've, I've said this in a lot of interviews, so like, that's, it's great. It's great that everyone's... I don't want to say jumped on the bandwagon because that, that sounds a bit detrimental, but everyone has joined us. I said, but actually, I said, the diving community has known about this for decades. Like, you know, we've been talking about this for decades. Uh, you know, you do shore dives and it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of rubbish. Now, is there more rubbish? I, I, I can't say that I've, I've seen necessarily more rubbish than I did, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago because I've been to some places, um, even remote islands that no one has ever lived on. It's still, still loads of plastic debris in the beaches. Certainly, some of the statistics that are coming in from 2020 that there's now more, um, you know, uh, medical masks in the Mediterranean than jellyfish, these sort of things that uh, this, 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 the disposable safety equipment that's come in from because of COVID um, hasn't always been disposed of that well. And I think one of the issues is this disposable culture that we've got now. And we've had actually for quite a few years now the idea that that um, use something once and throw it away. Uh, and it, uh, partly it's because it's, things are so cheap. The standard of living has gone up. People can buy new T-shirts every week because they only cost a couple of quid from Primark. You know what I mean? Whereas in my mum's day or, or my grand's day, you know, you bought a jacket and it lasted you 20 years. You bought a pair of socks, there's a hole in them, you darned that hole and you kept wearing them. So I think that's, that's part of the problem. The, the other issue we have is, I think, the chemicals, um, things that are being swept down our rivers and into the oceans, um, not just the fertilizers, but some of the estrogen hormones and that sort of stuff that are ending up in the seas and, and the rivers, because we talk a lot about marine pollution and marine conservation, but for me, rivers and lakes are, are as important. It's, it's water conservation because it's all part of one system. Um, and the other thing is the amount of, uh, I, I can't honestly say that I have seen this personally because again I don't go to the I don't dive the same size often enough but certainly feedback not only statistics but feedback from people I know who do live in the ocean day in day out at the same locations all around the world is how there's just there's just less life around there's actually less fish there's less sharks there's less you know, there's less, like, with the exception of whales, that there are certain certain species of whales, and actually certain places, the shark populations have begun to slowly recover, and that sounds, and that is a good news story. But it's like, great, there was the once upon a time, there's a hundred percent of the population. We took it to, to like five percent of the population, and now it's back up to six. Yes, that's good news, but let's not start patting ourselves on the back just yet. Um, I think the final thing that people need to understand, I keep making this point, is that it is harder for us to understand this as divers because for us, the underwater world is part of our world. But for most people, the world ends at the waterline. It stops there. The, the, the underwater world is a very abstract kind of 
almost imaginary world that they don't, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind, which is why people have been dumping stuff in the ocean for, for you know, year, hundreds of years, like nuclear waste, and we're just dumping rubbish in there. Because as far as I said, it sinks out of sight and it's gone. But the oceans actually are the most key component of, of the earth. You know, 71% of the earth is, is covered by water. Um, algae is one of the biggest if not the biggest oxygen, uh, carbon dioxide sink and, and oxygen producer in the world, that if, if you'd healthy oceans, you could probably cut down all the plants in the world and we'd probably still survive. If you destroy the oceans, we're all kind of buggered. Um, so, you know, even if you don't want to, even if you, you, have, if you have no kind of altruistic feelings to help the whales, the dolphins and the, and, and the plants and the animals that live in the oceans and just keep, try to keep them clean, do it for yourself. Because if the oceans don't survive we're all dead simple as that yeah it is as simple as that and it and it's extraordinary how that message does not get across it's 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 interesting certainly i remember from my childhood and my parents and old people around here talk to uh you know that line where the sea is and you don't know what's beyond it and you're on land etc etc well it wasn't always like that of course you could even in my childhood, you could stand on the beach and you could watch shoals of fish, mackerel bubbling in the shore, uh, thousands of seabirds uh, diving in. You could see dolphins. Um, I don't see any of that anymore. No, it's, it's, mm. it's there's definitely less, just less life around. Um, like you see the, the, the baskets, and you hear the, 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 the stories from, you know, people in their eighties and nineties about off the coast of Scotland about what used to like every year you would see dozens and dozens of basking sharks. Like you could almost walk across them, you know, to get to the next island. The dolphins, the whales that would come in, the big orca pods would come in. Um and actually the stuff would get washed up on the beach, which which sounds a bit sort of a bit a bit grave, but actually if there's a lot of life being washed up on the beach, like carcasses, that means a lot of life around. Whereas nowadays, you know, these things are, are fairly rare. Um, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's, I mean, there's definitely just a lot less life, which, which you know, you, you can't, well, it can't be surprising. We're polluting the oceans, um, but also we're harvesting huge amounts from the oceans, mm-hmm. and in an unsustainable way. And taking all those fish out doesn't just mean there's less fish in the sea; it means there's less of the animals that predate or rely on those fish to, to survive. Um, so, you know, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a web. Uh, when you and if you take away one part of that web, the whole thing collapses. All the people that that you meet through your filming and journeys, um, I assume you meet lots of people who are trying to take action and preserve what's left or to make things better. Do you ever have the opportunity or desire to help them? Yeah, so I work with a few charities. Um, I'm always a big supporter of the Marine Conservation Society. That you know, I see all the shows. I've been chatting to those guys for years. Um, the Olive Ridley is another charity that's based out of the Maldives, but they do um, work with sea turtles mainly. Um, but what I like about them is they're, they're not just they're, well, they've got the vets there, so they're actually they, they, they sort of, if, if there's injured animals, they'll rehab them and, and release them. But what they're also involved in is local education and uh, trying to set up the local communities to, 
to, to look after. I think the long-term pl- ideal plan would be that they can all just, the Westerners, we could leave and that the charity should be self-running by the locals, i.e. that it's the local people that you need to engage and have them. You can't always come in like this sort of imperial West and go, right, we're going to save the day. It's like, okay, like we'll show you how to manage these things and then we'll bugger off and leave you to it. Much that's been going on with the sort of the terrestrial parks in, in Africa, initially a lot of them were set up by Westerners coming in, but, but now really they're, they're very much run by the local people um as, as it should be self-governing um i think the issue you've got with the marine i mean and i've, I've got friends who who have worked and filmed with the guys out in you know the, the anti-poaching squads in africa and 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 against the like the tiger trades out in, in places like china but and it's difficult it's extraordinarily difficult and that's on land trying to police marine parks and marine reserves is it's nigh on at the moment. It's nigh on impossible. We've got all these marine parks and, and reserves around the UK. This, this is the UK, you know, a fairly developed, technologically advanced country, uh, relative to, to the in the world, and we, we are making a terrible job of, of. We haven't got the resources to police huge parts of our own seas. Um, yeah. So so, so there's there's, a, there's more and more and more. Uh, marine huge marine reserves being set up which is which is great news the issue and to be fair the people setting these marines up are putting holding their hands up and saying look this is this our biggest issue is this it's policing it you know because that's that it just consumes resources um you know you, you imagine we've, we've all gone wreck hunting how hard it is to find a wreck that we know is there and we have the gps position for sometimes you know if it's not buoyed can you imagine trying to do that across thousands of square miles of ocean it is <clears throat> true. Uh, the, the policing of reserves uh, is pretty well non-existent, really. I mean, we have our fishery boats, um, but as you're saying, it's such a vast area and you can't cover it. But politically, it all sounds very good. You know, we have so many hundred marine reserves, but in many ways, they're kind of meaningless. Yeah, you need... You need almost people to buy into that, so the people who would be fishing from it to to somehow buy into. It. I mean, it's it's very easy to sit here and complain, and and I, I it's it's not necessarily a criticism of the governments who who are doing this because actually, again, people like to complain about the government, but this not the next thing. Oh, I need to spend more on this. But there's a, there's a finite amount of money. Bottom line is, you know, you know. And people were like, "We want you need to spend more money on policing the fisheries, spend more money on on the NHS, spend more money in schools, spend more money in the roads, spend more money in the elderly." It's like, well, actually, we haven't got an endless pit of money. We have to prioritise stuff, and I can see why, both politically and socially, people are like, well, we either spend a huge bit because it would be vastly expensive in resources to police these marine reserves, or we spend that money on schools and, and hospitals. Uh, you, you know, so I, I get why one takes priority of the other um which is why projects like the Oliver ridley project that, that that seeks to get the local community to buy in so the people who who used to be shark fin fishermen for example go right we're not going to employ you to be sea rangers you know I guess the, 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 the park wardens, the park rangers from these places in, in, in Kenya are often come from communities who traditionally would have would have created the, the poachers because and again I've never blamed the poachers or the shark fishermen. Most of them are they're just trying to make enough money to feed their kids. You know, 
it's hard to sort of sit in judgment of them. And then it's it's not because they're necessarily anti-wildlife or they don't care about the planet. It's because in these a lot of these places, it's the only way to earn enough money to so your kids don't starve. That is um, true. Um, the, the, the difference then comes is when it becomes totally commercialised, which th- then that's when the problems really start. Yes, and that's the problem with the ocean, these the super trawlers. Um, yeah. So these yes. huge things. And it's one of the problems we've got in the UK, you know, speaking to some of the fishermen, especially from Cornwall, and they're like, you know, we've got all these limitations. I know, I know, guys are going in like single, single-handed, small boats to do to do fishing, or lobster pots or that. Um, and you know, they they care more about the marine environment than than you know the, the divers. People go, ah, oh, the bloody fishermen. Most of the small, you know, the sort of cottage fishermen have a greater understanding and a more and a more sort of passion for conserving the marine world than than anyone else. The problem they have is that you're getting these super trawls, usually coming in from, from from other countries, are coming in to, to British waters or just or just offshore. Well, they, and they are, you know, the, the 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 nets they have are vast. I mean, they're just or, or dredging. God, I mean, I've, we've all well, certainly I've seen. I imagine you have as well. Seen the aftermath of dredging. I have dived areas pre and post dredging, and it's like. It's like the Somme, you know, mm. this reef is like full of life, crabs, lobsters, you know, do a little bit of spearfishing because loads of fish around, get a pollock for tonight's dinner, fantastic, really easy. You come back literally the next day and it's a ploughed field. There's nothing there at all. And it's, it's and, and you know, that's happening on a, on a, on a industrial scale in some places. Yes, it is. It is. And, and we've been saying it for all our lives, Really, but once again, as you say, you know, it's the hidden thing. People don't see it uh, very much. And of course, as soon as you start to show these things on TV, it has a horror factor to it. But sometimes it becomes too depressing, and audiences switch off. Yeah, I mean, the uh, there has in the past been this thing, sort of almost bad news fatigue. So initially, kind of in the eighties, we were like, right, this global warming's a thing. Uh, and people, are like, oh my God, okay, let's let's do something about it. It's just terrible. But then being told it's it's a that for decades, people are now like global warming. Well, they're also immune to the bad news of global warming and, and conservation. I think what is what is encouraging is that the new kind of long form, slightly more cinematic documentaries you see on Netflix are coming out, and and they're getting people reengaged. Yeah. I think. But what's also encouraging, I think, is that the next generation are far more green than my generation or the generation before me. They're far more aware of these things and motivated to do something about it. Now, whether that change as they go older, because, you know, everyone's, uh, everyone's sort of passion changes from when they're 20 to when they're 50, but, you know, we're seeing more, uh, and certainly surveys in, in the States, for example, of sort of 20 to, to 35 year olds are showing that, they would rather earn less money but work for a company that is an ethical approach, has an environmental approach, and because that's the, they're happy, they're like, well, I'm happier going to work, so I'd rather earn a bit more, less but be happier, which is why companies like Patagonia, who, who make outdoor, mostly climbing, kind of mountaineering clothing, who have been at the forefront of, of greener technology, new technology, and that sort of stuff, um, you know, they're one of, one of the most sought-after companies to, to, to work for because people are like, I don't care about the money, it's a good company trying to do good things. And, you know, you want to you be able to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day. True, true. 
Andy, it's been brilliant talking to you. Um, tell me, is, it, is there a, a marine, marine project or subject that you haven't done yet that you, you'd like to get grips with? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, I, I, wow. yes. I still, I still, I still haven't, I still haven't uh, free dive with whale sharks. So that's on the list. Um, I'd actually, I'd love to take my kids to the Maldives one day and, and have them stock with whale sharks. Um, I was hoping to be to be free diving with humpback whales this this January, but I don't think it's going to happen now, unfortunately. But there we go. Um, I mean, the UK. Oh, actually, I've, I've, I did this project back in 2011 called Britain by Snorkel, all around the country for about three months, and I was free diving in, in snorkeling in rivers and lakes and waterfalls and mountain pools, and obviously all around the seashore, wrecks, caves, all that sort of stuff. And um, I've been doing bits and pieces in that over the years, and I think now more than ever, it, it, I might reinstigate that and, and make it slightly go across Europe if we're allowed to, only because I think the way to get people, the general public, to care more about the rivers and the lakes and the, and the, the oceans is to get them involved. And me, although I go, right, here's my, here's my 120 meter, you know, rebreather, trimix, cave diving exploration project. People are like, well, it's very impressive, mate, but you basically go to the moon. I mean, it doesn't really relate to me. What is snorkeling, anyone can do. And if you start showing people a bit more of that, so get in the rivers and lakes and the seas, and they start seeing below that water line, they then start caring a little bit more about it. So well soon become a big thing. So I'm hoping to tap into that with a few projects to sort of reach reach more of the general public um, than perhaps I would have done with with you know deep cave diving. Andy, that's it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thanks um, so much. No, thank you. And uh, I hope you have a good year. Let's hope COVID lets us do a bit more. Yeah, I hope so. I'm a bit jealous of yourself down in Cornwall. Um, so I've got some mates to live down in Cornwall. And I've, I've managed to get down for two one-week trips in the summer. I took a camper van down just to just stay at both Keras, actually. Um, but, you know, I, they, I, I see them on, on Instagram. They're in, they're in the sea every morning. I'm like, oh. I, I, live, I live basically in a, uh, in a forest on the River Wye. So right. Yeah. I'm a good I'm a good two and a half hours drive from the nearest bit of diveable water. Um so yeah, I've got a bit jealous of them. And I've got another friend who just before lockdown he moved house uh to um well he was living in Jersey anyway, but he bought a house that basically sat on the beach, literally. Beach is he's like he's gonna say fifty feet of sand then it's the sea. And he moved there just before lockdown. So over the first lockdown, he said he was in the sea at least once a day. And you're just like, oh, it's just yeah. So I, I, I've I've been okay about not living by the sea, but this year it's been it's been hard actually. It's not so any anyone who's living in Coral, I'm like ah, just... Yeah. Well if it makes you feel better it's it's the viz is bad and the sea is rough at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I was down there, wasn't it? I was down in Cornwall about three weeks, four weeks ago. And um yeah, we had it pretty 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 poor viz to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, we'll let you take care and um hopefully speak to you another time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Cheers, Andy. Bye. Bye, Bye.